0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about Church at the Well, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. And now, here's today's sermon from our pastor, Dane Carraway. Um, please help us as we look to your word today. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. All right. Um, so, if you've if you uh, haven't been with us in a while, if you've never been here before, we've been going through this um, series called the Bridge. It's uh, it's up there, and um, we've been looking at the uh, uh, the uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew specifically um, writes this book in a way where he is pointing to the promises. Of Jesus, He's pointing to um, uh, specific things from the Old Testament uh, uh, and it's pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment of these things. But then there's some other times, and we're going to look at one of them now, where, where, Jesus, uh, where Matthew is pointing to other bridges that us as believers need to cross. We looked at some that it's been like, this is what you think. This is what you understand. I need you to move here to a different understanding or move from the understanding of what God's telling you to do to actually doing it. So in some way, shape, or form, it's always pointing to this is where you were, or this was the promise. We need to cross that bridge and focus on Jesus as the fulfillment of it, or either in our own lives to what God is pushing us to do and who he's pushing us to be. This is one that, that I think outlines perfectly where we are. Um, last week, we talked about what the followers of Jesus do, Right? We talked about the office of what followers of Jesus. Remember, the disciples were having an argument about um, who was the greatest to the point where they came and asked Jesus, hey, what do you got to do to be the greatest? You're King Jesus. I'm trying to be prince to King Jesus. What do you got to do to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus says, hey, stop. You got to be like this child here because this child understands that the best position to be is at my feet. The child understands that the best position to be is one that's full of humility. And, and and we talked about the idea of um, we need to look for opportunities to step down, and any sort of greatness requires humility. We close by asking the question, are, are the most important things in, uh, in my life about me? I want us to kind of keep that in mind because— Humility is going to be required for the tough conversation we have today. Full disclosure, I thought heavily about skipping this passage. I was like, man, we're really young. Like, like we have a good rhythm going. I feel like every, every message has been like positive in, in some sense. This is just a weird passage to do. And it, it like, I, I knew this is where God was leading me, but I was tempted hard to the point where I was like, if I don't text Fred, Fred's never gotten the, the, the passage of, the, of the, uh, the scripture ever this early, have you? He's never got it like on a Sunday. I, was, I did it on a plane and I knew that I was tempted to skip this. And I was like, if I don't text Fred, I need to text Fred what we're, just, uh, what we're doing today or else, man, I, I'm going to be tempted to skip it because I just, I don't like this passage. I'm going to be real with y'all. Love God's word convicted by it, believe strongly in the inerrancy of scripture. I don't like this passage. And I think for a lot of us, I want us to approach it with that same mindset that what Jesus is saying to be great in the kingdom of God, we have to have humility. We have to look at ourselves. We have to be willing to say that, that um, the most important things in my life are not about me. And I want that to be the posture in which we read um, later in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. Okay? If you know this passage, you know it's going to get weird, but we're going to have a good conversation together. All right? Let's read. Matthew chapter 18 verse starting in verse 15. This is Jesus talking. <clears throat> if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, And ever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Okay, it's not the most comfortable passage, right? I know some people are like, oh my gosh. Our church is like seven months old, and Dane's up here about to talk about like the church discipline passage. Like, like, can I just point to this? Like, like, this is this is one of these passages where where people point to and says the church is legalistic. It's more about rules. It's like like forget this salvation and this grace that like from Jesus. This this is it. I knew it. I knew we were going to get here. I knew this is this is where it gets weird. Where we just judge one another, and, and this is it. And wh- what I want to point to you and what I, if you'll give me the space to do so, I think that this is a great opportunity for a bridge to be built. Listen, I look to teach and preach God's word in a way that is easily understandable so that we can clearly see the on rims to better follow Jesus. However, if you don't think that there's gonna be times when God's word rubs us the wrong way, then you probably have a false sense of your, own, of your own purity, of, your, of how great you are. I mean, do we not think that if God is supremely holy, if God is the, is the, um, the actual you know, definition of what is good, then of course, if, if we aren't equal to him, sometimes his opinions of things are gonna rub us the wrong way. I would hope that's the case. If you're learning something or if you're interning for someone, Right? If, if you were to be an intern for like whoever it is that you want to be, I would hope that you wouldn't already know and, and, and your ideas wouldn't already match what that person's is. I remember I, um, my first job out of college was working at the, uh, the uh, ticket sales for the Washington Wizards. I was horrible at it. It was so bad. I could sell me some women's basketball though. It, it just made sense. It was just a great, it was a great ticket price. But I remember um, towards the end before the NBA lockout happened and they let me go, my boss said to me, he says, Dane, you're not good at your job because you don't have a killer instinct. You care too much about people. And if you want to be good at this job, you need to care about the sale and less about building relationships, right? There was something that I like, I didn't agree with that that's something that like, a part of who I am, you know, part of who i am was not matching with what i was being called to and in order for me to get to where i was called to it was going to rub me the wrong way it was going to have to be like have me change who i was to get there i think that for us being fallen people be, like you didn't have to learn sin you didn't have to learn how to how to lie you didn't have to learn how you know how to like be distant and 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 be separate from people this is who we naturally are. We, are. we are naturally fallen people. Nobody was born perfect. We need to look at God's standard. We need to look at his word. And when it rubs us the wrong way, and the problem's not with his word, the problem's where? It's within, it's within us, okay? So th- th- that's just, just the idea of, uh, uh, of how we need to approach this. Um, During this series, I pointed to the bridges uh, that move from the Old Testament to new and and bridges that move from um, our our hearing to doing. I think this passage requires a different and, and difficult one. This is a bridge where we have to move from what's uncomfortable to what's necessary. Our big idea this morning is this. Jesus cares deeply about repentance and restoration. He cares deeply about it. Dan, I just read the same passage as you. There's no way this is what this passage is about. I think you missed it. No, I think you did. Because... because None of this is necessary. Jesus doesn't point to. Remember the same song that our band just sang about, you know, the reckless love of God. That's based off of the passage that we read last week. It, it's based off of the idea that, that Jesus having 99 would be the shepherd that would lead the 99 to go after the one. That Jesus cares deeply about people uh, being repented and being restored and being brought to himself. And in the heart of Jesus, the whole reason for this is not so that Christians would judge others and that we would have this kind of legalistic mindset. No, it's deeper than that. It's that he cares deeply about people being restored. And I'm able to show it to you in every step of this process that Jesus shows, right? You have to know that this is the heart of Jesus. It's not about public shame. It's not about embarrassing someone in the behavior modification, it's agreeing with Jesus and his desire to take sin seriously and his desire that all men be restored to himself. So the question that we're, we're going to go after is, what do we do when our people are not walking in the way that they should be going? What do we do? What I actually want to do is, is I'm going to look through this twice. Once to go over some of the guidelines to the process and then highlight the heart of Jesus through the process. So we think about the guidelines. Number one is this. This is for family, this is for family. By the way, I'm gonna give you a a backdrop and and it's only to be honest with you uh, about where I'm coming from. I've been a part of um, uh, um, a church discipline, um, like in in big church um, settings when it has gone absolutely horribly wrong. People were hurt, people were burned, people left the church, people were angry, people like, like families were broken up and like no longer speak and talk to each other. I, I, I've seen it done absolutely horrible wrong. I'd be willing to tell you I've seen this done more, more wrong and more, more wrong ways than I have done in right ways. And if you've been in church for a long time, you probably would agree with me, right? Um, what I, one thing I want to stress is this first one, it's this idea that this is for family Jesus stresses, and what he's been calling these guys to from the very beginning, is that when you become a follower of Jesus, you become a part of a family. And something that happens amongst family is that family, when you're a part of a family, you stop caring about yourself and your own position, but you care about the people around you. Remember what I said before about the idea last week of that Is the most important things in your life about you. One of the things that I absolutely love about, you know, um, about parents and especially grandparents, is that they get to a point in their life where they says, "I've done what I've wanted to do, or I'm satisfied with where I am in my life. I'm thinking about the next generation. I'm thinking about my kids' life in their position. I'm thinking about my grandkids' life in their position." We should be like grandparents. The the idea here is that this is for family. You know, when this goes wrong is when people who aren't family try to judge others like their family. Like there are two people in my life that can give an accurate account with everything that's wrong with me. Right? It's my mom and my wife. They can give you a report on it. And like, even though it doesn't always feel right all the time, feel right, like it doesn't feel good, I know they're probably right. And I know there's not an agenda behind it. I know that it's not for my embarrassment or not to put me down, but it's actually for my good. This is for Family. The problem that we, I think that's found in the church and why so many people keep their distance from Christians is because we've taken the principles of Matthew 18 and we've tried to show a fallen world that they're fallen. They don't care. (laughs) Like like people far from God, we live, it's 2023. People far from God are beating down the doors. I don't know if you've noticed, there's not a, a line to get into our church People that are far from God, they're far from God for a reason. They're living their lives. This is for people that have made a commitment to follow Jesus and made a commitment to the local body that they're a part of. Like, like they have opened themselves. Baptism is this. Do you understand that? Like, like part of, the, part of the, the public display of baptism is saying that I identify as a part of the body of Christ. Other religions do things like baptism too it's like it's it's literally somebody saying i'm making a public declaration of a private inward decision to follow jesus and i'm asking you to hold me accountable of this i'm asking that of you that's what baptism is and what jesus is saying is that for for folks who make a decision to to do that that's who this applies to the apostle paul um uh, said in 1 Corinthians uh, 5.12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Like, how many Christians just need like that part of that verse, right? What do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church who, are, who you are to judge? Like, like, hear me carefully. Yes, Paul does say that you're to, like that Christians, that there's a sense of, uh, there's a sense of judgment there, but not in the way that we like to make it in our culture. So, Dane, I should, I should only follow this whole process with people that I'm connected to? Absolutely. Man, like, like, here's the thing. We can't pick and choose what part of God's Word we want to do and what part of Jesus' you know, uh, um, uh, directives that we want to follow. Jesus has been preaching family. He's been preaching, you know, put put others before yourself. You know, he's been doing all these things. And what we do is we say, you know what? I'm going to forsake being a part of our church. I'm going to forsake the relationships that I should be connected with people. I'm going to forsake like, like really being connected with people. But man, I saw something that I could judge. I saw something that I could, that I could hate. I saw something. Now I'm going to go call somebody out on it. Well, let me ask you a question. Is that your brother? Is that your, your, your sister? Is that, is that like, you know, is there a connection there? Because we have to remember the goal. The, the, the goal is not like to win a game or to like, you know, it's not like Mario where it's like, you have a couple lives left until you're kicked out of the church. That's not, that's, it's, it's not the point. It's, that's a weird game that I think people play. Rather, the goal is for restoration and repentance. Like, like here, here's the thing, and I, and I will point to myself to, today. I like, I, I, I could not ever imagine. I could not ever imagine, and I and I say this sensitively because I I, I think that there is. Let me be careful. I, I say this I, I say this carefully and humbly. I could not imagine a single reason why I would ever step outside of my marriage. I couldn't, I, like, it is so far away from my mind. I read about some of pastors. I have their books on my shelf right now. I've listened to their sermons. There are guys that, like, that have broken my heart because of what they've done and, and how they've torn their families apart. And I could not imagine ever doing that. And I say that humbly. And, but there are men in this church that I would consider like my brothers, that if there was any semblance of me going outside, out like even just like taking a step towards that, I'm not saying doing the whole thing, but just a step towards that, I would pray that they would be brave enough and that they would love me enough and they would consider me like family enough to be like, "Dane, we need you. Not because you're our pastor, but because you are a part of this body. And there's no judgment in there. It's that they love me and they love my pursuit of Jesus, hopefully, as much as I do. And they want to see me walking right with Christ. Do you see the difference? There's not judgment there. There's love there. And the goal is for restoration and repentance. You have to know that this is the heart of Jesus. You have to know that this, this is where he wants for us. What it is about is, is what they've done. It can't be, it can't be about um, what bothers you. When we think about it being about family, a lot of times people think about what's annoying or what bothers them. They take the part in this passage and, and they run with it about what someone sins against you. It's like, well, like they went to Chick-fil-A and they got everybody else a drink, but they've, they've, they were supposed to give me a sweet tea and it was unsweetened tea. Hey, we need to have a conversation. I know that's petty, but you know what we do. We let something this big in our minds become this big. And then, you know, then we're sitting down and next thing you know, it's being brought before the church that someone got it, didn't get a sweet tea. You know what I mean? Like, 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 like we have to make sure. It sounds funny, but like I, th- we're, we're people and we're prone to doing things like this. Which leads me to the next one. It needs to be legitimate. This needs to be Legitimate. And I know I probably made folks uncomfortable in here that I would even use that example, but I needed you to feel me on this, like the severity and what I would want this to happen in my own life, that it needs to be legitimate. And taking sin seriously, we have to understand if we're going to approach our brothers and our sisters in Christ with the goal of restoration, it can't be based around suspicion or our personal preferences, In in, in past situations, I've seen this done in the wrong way because it was not based in someone being in sin. It was just based on what somebody thought that they were doing. It was actually based in gossip. It was based in people talking about things that had nothing to do with them in the first place. By the way, this is why people hate the church. It it wasn't even, and then it came down to what they were really talking about was just the preference of just what a few people wanted them to be doing or what they thought their idea of what a believer looked like. And it wasn't, the, it, it, it had nothing to do with that person in the first place. Really, this, it turned out that the sin was inside those folks in their own sense of judgment and pride. It's got to be legitimate. It's got to be. Sin against you is not the same as something that bothers you or annoys you. That's something, and and we're going to get there, that this is something that we have to be reconciling with Jesus and we need to be praying about. I love how this passage ends because it shows that this does not happen apart from prayer. Can I take a step back for a second? Why is Jesus talking to these guys about this? Because remember, when we've gotten directives about what, the, what, what, what God's people do before, it came to one person, Moses, on the top of a mountain, and God just said, tell them what to do. Tell them that this is the laws of the land. But what Jesus is doing, remember, he's getting ready for his departure. And he's showing them how to exist together. There's a couple words here that they don't even know what this looks like Yes, Remember what Jesus says? He says, take it to the church. They're probably sitting there, What's the church? We won't know what that looks like yet. It's just the 12 of us. Like, like, what does he mean? Jesus is showing them how to coexist with each other. And he's not doing this so that they would lord over each other or, or, or do things. And he doesn't pull Peter to the side and says, hey, Peter, here's how you're going to, you know, like, here's how, here's how you're going to disciple the rest of them. He's like, no, you need to, you're the body. So it only makes sense that Jesus is doing this as a unifying thing rather than something that would divide people. Let me ask you a question. In your, in, in your interactions with people of faith in your lifetime, has stuff like this been more divisive or unifying? We just planted our church, so I, 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 can, I have the... Uh, have tons of ideas and, and and I have like I see the potential of who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be different. I wasn't willing to wait to come back to this passage i, I want to I wanted to say up front that I want to be a church that does things well, pun intended like I, I want to be a church that that if that that you know if we ever are in places in our individual lives that we have other folks here that love us enough to want us to live towards Jesus. But it has to be legitimate. It has to, Jesus takes this seriously. We also got to trust the process. And this is probably the hardest one. A lot of folks will struggle with this because it doesn't feel right to just move away from people. You know, like I, I even struggle with, you can't read a commentary about this without the stress on excommunication. And man, I struggle with that. And I'm not really—I'm willing to stand up here for 30 minutes to give you my position on how I'm not sure it actually means excommunication. I'm not all the way there. I, I, I need to, like, just like you learn God's word, I'm still learning God's word, right? Um, but I, I do think that Jesus takes it seriously. I think that there is something to be said there about treating as a Gentile and treating as a tax collector. But at the same way, what 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 ended up happening to the, to the Gentiles. Well, the gospel was, was taught to them. I think what you can't say about those two is that they're both treated as outsiders in this culture and that the gospel had to be brought to them and it was brought to them. There is an emphasis here that, that, like, that, that they're no longer a part of the body. I agree with that you know, completely. But what's interesting about the tax collector is who, who's writing this passage down Matthew, what was Matthew's job before he became an apostle? He was a tax collector. I say this because we have to trust the process. I think a lot of times that we think about what rubs us the wrong way and how like it, it, it's, there's hard that we look at the, the standard and we look at God's word and we look at our position of it and we're like, I, this doesn't feel right. Like, shouldn't God's word feel right? Like, shouldn't I be able to fit into this better? It just doesn't feel right. We got to trust the process. Uh, remember we talked about um, the, the idea of, um, um, I, I refer to all the time, I don't even think we've actually actually been through the passage, but I feel like I've done it enough when it's time to get there, I won't even do it. Uh, the prodigal son, if the prodigal son had never went away, would he have ever actually truly been re- like, uh, um, rendered back to his father? If he had just sat there just disgruntled and angry with, his, angry with his dad, angry with his circumstance. If he had not had the, the point where he was able to leave, what if his dad actually didn't let him go? Parents, this is hard, right? Like the idea where the prodigal son forsook his father, said, I want it to be as if you were dead. Give me all of my life, all of like my, um, all that I would inherit from you as if you were dead. I want that today so I can go and live my life. If that doesn't happen, that whole process doesn't happen, how does he not come home? He has to go home to he can experience the famine, right? He has to he has to he has to go away so he can experience the lowest of lows. And sometimes that, like the, the what happens is with with some believers is, you know, they just we have to let them If they're unrepentant, if they're they're not willing to listen, if they're not willing to be loved on, man, one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do, and I've been through this, one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do is let them go. It does not feel right, and it never will feel right. But just like that prodigal son, they have to experience the depravity and the disparity of a life away from what they've always known to be true, which is Jesus. We've got to trust the process because that prodigal son ended up coming home. I, I, I truly and I honestly believe this. There's, there's people in my life that I've seen this happen to, and it's become a lifelong prayer request. I've been praying longer for them to come back home than I than, than I knew them before it happened. And I say this to parents. I say this to grandparents. Man, there's 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 kids and there's people in your lives that you're praying for, and that you know that you know that they know that they know that they know, and you're just waiting for them. While you wait, you pray, and you see what God does with it. We got to trust the process. So those are my guidelines. I think we have to understand the heart of Jesus. Accountability was never supposed to simply be about not messing up. I believe Jesus knew that we are better together. Uh, This makes sense that Jesus would talk about this right after he spoke about the necessity of humility. When we seek to restore our brothers and sisters from a posture of humility, I believe it decreases the potential of someone feeling judged. Someone feeling that they're, they're pointing at that, that, that they are worse than somebody else. I believe that it, it prevents somebody from being looked down upon, which I think the church, we, 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 we unfortunately just kind of sit in that seat. But it increases the potential for a positive response. So what do we do? How, like, how do we put ourselves in the best position to do that? I think we do that by matching the heart of Jesus. And it starts like this. Number one. We have to confront towards restoration. We have to confront towards restoration. Um, I do this better as a pastor than I do this as a dad. You know, I, I've, I, I, you know, I, I can talk to one of my young guys or somebody and, and I can point things out and I can love and I can rub their back and say, hey man, like this, this, is, this isn't who the Lord wants you to be. Like, you gotta, you gotta consider that that this is not, this shouldn't be part of your life. This is crippling to you. I can do that, great, but then at home, like, what's the quickest way to confront my two boys arguing so we can get on to the next thing? Man, in both situations, I just want you to think about that. When we have to confront somebody when they're in the wrong, are we doing it in a way just to get it over with quick? Are we doing it a way to where it doesn't seem like we really care about what we're talking about? Or do we actually want restoration? Have you ever been like in a managerial position or been like, you know, in charge of hiring or firing? There's probably come along somebody younger that you wanted to mentor or or that you just wanted to pour into. But, or even as a teacher, there's been like that student that you're like, you know, God just put you there and I just want to not just give you, you know, a good education, but also, you know, I, I want to disciple you. I, I want to pour myself into. It is hard when you got to correct them, right? You don't want to deal with that. And the way that we deal with this is that we have to see past people's faults. I'm not saying excuse them, but we have to see. We have to see past like uh, how like the relationship gets to be restored. Um, This has been something that me and Anna have worked on, more so me than her, because she was always there, but more so in my life. We have been working on our parenting in a way where I'm not just punishing my kids for when they mess up, but especially when they do something to somebody else, they got to restore their relationship. I know my kids' teachers are tired of getting letters (laughs) from my kids when they come home on, on yellow or red. You know, Perry Hall got all these colors. You know what I'm saying? I know green is the good one. That's what I know. I don't know what the other one. I think it was an orange day one time. I'm like, man, what is orange? Um, <laughs> what do you do? Um, and, but one of the things we taught our kids is, especially when it's disrespect, we've, we, we've picked disrespect as one that just, that, like, we will not do. Disrespect and I've, I've, I, I can deal with my kids talking too much. I talk too much. It's not their fault. Um, but disrespect is one that we won't do. And, and I've said, like, okay, listen, you have deeply offended your teacher. You have, you know, you have disrespected them in a, in a horrible way. We need to apologize, and we need to see how we're going to restore their relationship. And, that's, and we had that conversation. It, happens, it happened several times this year. I think that's different than me just saying, Oh, you just out here disrespecting your teacher. Oh, oh, you going to school and you're on games. Well, guess what's not gonna be a game, you on Switch this whole week, you know what I mean? And then like just punishing them. Cause what does my kid understand? I messed up, punishment, but that doesn't restore anything. That teacher was still disrespected in her classroom there's still a disparity between my child and that teacher. And, 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 and like, I think, we, I think every relationship is an opportunity. So we need to confront in a way that's helping to do restoring work. We could do this in our jobs. We can do this in, in our friendships and in, in the communities that we have. It just has to make sense, right? Like that we confront towards restoration. Um, next one is this, the intimate gathering should express value. The intimate gathering should express uh, value. Um, the pastor says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I don't know one person that would be comfortable with this scenario, that would be comfortable in a, in a, in a place to where there's already been an initial conversation Someone that loves you, that claims to care about you, has presented like, "Hey, I, I see this, and I see you moving in this way, and like, I, I see this part of you, and I want you to consider like, you know, not letting this be a part of your life anymore. I want, I want you, I want you to consider repenting of this because I know this is not who you want to be. I know this is not what God has for you. That's a hard enough conversation as it is. Imagine like them coming back with somebody else that sees the same thing. It's, it's, it's tense." It's uncomfortable, and it, it feels like you're being ganged up on. And I just want us to see this from the other side of this. Number one, I want to point back to the idea that it's got to be about family, and it's got to be it's got to be done by family, because it's already got uncomfortable enough. You know how embarrassing it would be if like Micah and Fred had to, you know, get together, call me out to get some wings or something, and be like, "Hey, Dane, you're you're not moving right." I would, I, would, I would feel so small about myself. But th- if we take this, if we take as hard as it is and there's no escaping how hard it could be, the, the way that we, we confront towards restoration, the way that we have the best position for repentance is restoration is by expressing value. You express value towards people. A lot of times, like when somebody messes up or someone is, is moving in a way they shouldn't be. As a church, we strip the value of that person. As, as horrible as it is, as sad as it is, uh, from so many, like, name, name one of the pastors in the last, like, four years that have fallen from their positions and been fired. No one ever talks about him anymore. No, like i'm not I'm not excusing or supporting of, of of anything. There's some guys that I don't think should ever be in ministry again, but i, I, I care more about their their eternal position. Like, what happens then? Somebody should like, if like there people disqualify themselves from ministry and from their positions all the time. but they're still a living breathing human. There's still somebody that. The Lord doesn't care about where our paychecks come from. Sure, fine, you don't have your position. And it sucks that you've embarrassed your families. But the value is stripped. I want you to think about, like, who is saying this thing, then treat them as a Gentile and tax collectors. Who in here is willing to say that Jesus doesn't care about Gentiles and tax collectors? Jesus can say this knowing his... His heart for bringing salvation is not just to the Jews, but to the world. I pray that if—and if, if, I pray that—first off, I pray that this never happens and you never find yourself in a position like this. It's important that we look to God's Word and we, and we understand it and we understand why it is what it is. But hear me, if you are somebody that does not know how to express value to someone, you need to leave this alone. Because value has to be expressed. It has to come from a place of, of, of value and of love. People have to do this. I, I, have, I have pleaded with, with men in my life to reconsider their position, to reconsider the choices that they were making, reconsider how they were hurting their families. And, and the same way, like, I love you, so please do this. I love you, please consider this. But they were so committed to walking away from God that they couldn't see it but what they could not say is that they did not express love and value for me. They couldn't do it. We have to be people that are willing to express value. Um, Next one, the heart of Jesus and what he would want us to do. The the church should own and grieve the loss. Um, I've seen this done in an amazing way. Um, I've, you know, one of my uh, favorite churches down in Texas, um, they, had, they had somebody on staff do something incredibly horrible and they owned it. Um, he was fired immediately. But one of the most impressive things that I saw this church do was when the media showed up, they owned it. They said, so many of your opinions of us by this were right, and they always used we. Nobody else on the staff had anything to do with this, this one man's bad decision, but they're the body of Christ. And, and at this point in time, the person who messed up was a part of the body of Christ, that local body. And they grieved it. Every time someone, when, they, when I presented it to the church, it says, we we messed up. We've hurt a family we've hurt our community we didn't keep kids safe we 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 were we this is this is horrible and we should grieve this loss and we need to beg god of his forgiveness and we need to pray and we need to put things in place that we never do this again and this was said from like the pastor of the church to his people see the problem is when we treat like things aren't a big deal then we never feel the weight of sin Whether it's ours or somebody else's. And and, and you saw this church be able to move, not move on and forget about it, but move forward. And you saw a community forgive them. You see saw a community not picket outside of their, their on the road and call for the place to be stripped of their 501c3. But you saw a church like take it seriously. Because what it does, it, it warns those in the local body, but also just puts in our minds that I mean, but this, is, this is not who we're supposed to be. This is not the standard that God calls us to live towards. The church took it seriously. Here it says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Which leads to the next one and I, and i and i want you to understand this that this is a part of the heart of jesus that distance is a part of the process distance is a part of the process i don't i don't like this i you know mentors me says dane sometimes you 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 don't preach god's words with boldness i want to boldly say to you that i don't like this <laughs> um, but it's part of the process it's people going to figure things out. It's people going to to render. I, I want to ask you, have you have you did you did you meet Jesus one day and you never left? Is that your story? It's not mine. Like like we're we're still humans that try to figure things out on our own and the Lord continues to give us opportunities to show how much we need him and how much we benefit from him being a part of our life. Gentiles were not a part of the Jewish community and tax collectors were enemies of the community. But we believe that God doesn't give up on people. So it does not match with the character of Jesus just to distance ourselves from unrepentant believers just for the sake of it. He's not giving up on them the distance is a part of the process. I think that God allows people to feel the disparity. I think God allows people to feel loneliness because a bond being presented with like with Jesus, they understand that like that that's the thing that they've been missing. Remember, we talked about before about why Jesus spoke in parables? And now like he spoke to so that his disciples and his followers, they would have a better understanding. Of, of him and they would follow him and they were growing their faith but to the religious leaders and to the others Jesus spoke in a way that would confuse them why so they would realize something missing you know why Jesus allows people to go and he says there, there's reason for the distance so they would feel like something's missing so they would be like the prodigal son and they would get to the point of saying like man even the servants in my dad's house got something to eat i'm over here with the pigs and the, the, the point for the distance is that people, it's, it's a part of the process. So they would realize what they need from him. And finally, prayer is part of the process. Um, we got a couple of things coming up I'm excited to tell you about in the next month of how what started this church was people praying for us. What started this church was was fasting and praying and walking around my neighborhood so our house would sell so we would get here. And in this last quarter of, our, of, of this year, it's going to become a major part of who we are. And I'm ashamed that it's taken this long for me to focus on. it, and that's, and that's my own confession. But p- prayer is a part of the process that what Jesus opens and closes this with is saying that where two, or, two or more of you are gathered He's pointing to the idea that if you aren't praying about this, is this really family? If you aren't, if the first thing you're doing is just judging and confronting someone, but this isn't something that you haven't rendered to, to Christ, you're probably going about this in the right way. The heart of Jesus is for restoration and repentance. And your first reaction to when you see your brother or sister doing something that's walking away from Jesus, it shouldn't be to run and confront and to, and, and, and to just attack them. It better have you go to a quiet place in your house or in your room or, it, where you could get alone with God and you could be pleading on their behalf. Prayer is part of the process. You see how this, isn't, this, is, this changes the way that we approach these things? You see how this becomes a church that's not built upon legalism, but actually one that actually cares deeply about how, uh, how each other are pursuing Jesus. See, I, I meant what I said, like, I don't want us to be a church that, that deals with this. I think God's word is true. I think, I think God's serious, and I think he wouldn't give it to us if he didn't know that we were following people that, that have to do this but the goal was never to be judgmental until robots that walk around with a checklist and making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be. We're on people. And I think it's good that way. Yes, we're supposed to grow to be like Jesus, but we all know that, that his standard is high. What I think is that if we aren't people that are praying towards what he would call us to be, that we're missing the most major part of all of this. Jesus cares deeply about repentance and restoration. So as we close, I want you to consider this question. What would you want to be done for you? I mean, really, if you're somebody who's made a decision to follow Jesus and maybe you're in a position where like, you can't see it. Maybe you're so stuck in pride that you can't see it. Maybe you're messing up in ways that you're not even sure you, you, you can do that. Or maybe you're just so committed that in another space, another time, you would never want to be doing. What would, you want to, what would you want to be done for you? If I'm drowning and it's my own fault, I would hope that the fact that it's my own fault wouldn't keep somebody that loves me and cares about me from tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, bro, you need to tighten up. This isn't who God's called you to be. I praise God. I have people like that in my life. And I pray that God would keep people like that in my life. What would you want to be done for you? That's what I think that we're called to be. That's what I think that we're called to do. The way that we respond this morning, guys, isn't by writing everybody else's name down as a part of Church of the Well and start analyzing their life to see if there's anything that we can confront them on. That, that that's, that's not it. I, I believe that the Holy Spirit draws us to things and Holy Spirit gives us the notions and he, he uses us in ways that, that like points to how we are supposed to... Um, to do these things. He allows us the eyes to see and he allows us to uh, the, to be in the position to where we have to respond to these situations. But if he points you and if he and if he uh, it, it, you get that notation, if you know that you know that you know that you are close enough to like family to somebody to be able to step in in a way in this way, you should respond. But you respond in a way that's not to embarrass. You respond in a way not to not to, make a, not to make an enemy out of someone who's supposed to be your brother or sister, but the goal is always repentance and it's always restoration. And remember, what would you want to be done for you? Would you pray with me? You just listened to a message from Dane Carraway, the pastor of Church at the Well in Telson, Maryland. To learn more about our church and to support what we're doing in the greater Baltimore area, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Church at the Well. May God bless you.